Welcome back to Owned and Operated, where we dive deep into the businesses we own, the businesses we are acquiring, and we also bring on guests to talk about their operating struggles. If you like what you hear today, follow John and Brandon on Twitter. That's John at Wilson Companies and Brandon at Brandon Niro. Also, check out our weekly newsletter where we teach you how to be an effective operator. You can sign up by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by visiting ownedandoperated.com. That's ownedandoperated.com. Check it out. On the podcast today, John welcomes to the show Hayden Slack. A native of Fort Worth, Texas, he has worked in the Department of Defense and in 2014 started working for his father-in-law's foundation repair company, GL Hunt, that he still runs to this day. And about four and a half years ago, he started a plumbing business that started slow, but has steadily grown over the past few years. Hayden will talk about how even the roughest starts to owning a business can turn into a profitable venture, as was the case with his plumbing company, Service Squad Plumbing. He mentions how important a social media presence is for home service businesses. Hayden says it can make you look like a marketing genius just by implementing it. Like most business owners, Hayden has future visions and challenges, and he will share those with John today. Enjoy. If you run a home service business like painting, plumbing, lawn care, or cleaning, you know the work never ends. Customer service, hiring staff, mountains of paperwork, the to-do list goes on and on. And plus, you still have to actually do the work to pay your bills. Running your entire business with pen and paper is hard and messy. You know you need a system to stay on top of everything so that nothing falls through the cracks. Jobber is a mobile and online app that helps keep your business organized and looking more professional than ever. With Jobber, you can quote jobs, schedule your crew, send invoices, and accept payments online all in one place. You won't know how you ran your business without it. Jobber offers free one-on-one coaching to help you get started. No software experience is required. Get paid on time, go paperless, and impress your customers. Try it free today at getjobber.com backslash OAO. It's no secret that Brandon and I have cleaned up a lot of poop in our career. Unfortunately, we don't clean up crappy bookkeeping. That's where today's sponsor comes in. Apple Tree Business Services handles bookkeeping, payroll, and taxes for small businesses. Apple Tree Business Services is the go-to choice for growing service companies so they can manage cash flow, know their numbers, and save on taxes. Their U.S.-based team has taken care of small business bookkeeping and taxes since 2005. Find them online at appletreebusiness.com or email patrick at appletreebusiness.com. Welcome back to Owned and Operated. Today, I have Hayden Slack on with me. Welcome, Hayden. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, man. This will be good. Plumbing Brothers. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you give the audience a little bit of an intro into your background and what you're up to now? Yeah. Hayden Slack from Fort Worth, Texas. Married my high school sweetheart and ended up running her father's foundation repair company. In my early career, I worked for the Department of Defense in a sub-agency that audited defense contractor proposals. Yeah, I currently run GL Hunt and about four and a half years ago started a plumbing business. I mean, we've just started small and steadily grown over the last seven years. Yeah, that's pretty good. Before you started running the foundation repair business, was that your first run at foundation repair? 
Oh, yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I got an MBA from a small state college in West Texas. And when I first came on board, it was because my father-in-law had a kidney transplant and he needed someone from the family business to get some experience. And my brother-in-laws were pastors. My wife had already worked for her father for a little bit and it didn't quite work out. And so I was the only one there. So we just kind of made a deal for me to go part time. (laughs) At the end of six months, you know, he was like, I'd really like you to stay. And the Department of Defense was like, hey, we'd really like you to come back. And him and I just worked it out and went with it. Yeah. How big was it at the time? When I got here in 2014, we were about four and a half million dollars between San Antonio and DFW. Yeah. And you blew it up. We've done well. It's been fun. Mm hmm. Does Texas have basements? Very rarely. Okay. Like so like foundation not. repair, you're doing slab slab repairs. Yeah, slab and pier and beam homes. And so for the slabs, we're installing piers. And for pier and beam work, it's essentially carpentry. We're going in and changing out beams, joists, sill plate, support gotcha. posts. What's a pier? Well, it, it varies. You've got concrete cylinders. They're six inches in diameter by 12 inches tall and they just get pushed into the ground one after another how deep as deep as the structure will allow and the weight of the structure controls how far you can go down interesting from the outside observer it sounds like some kind of feat of engineering but in reality (laughs) we're pushing crap in the ground until the house can't push anymore (laughs) gotcha gotcha elegant yes yeah all right, so foundation repair. Yeah, so we're in Ohio, so we have a ton of basements. So when I'm thinking of foundation repair, it is mainly like you're digging up an eight-foot hole on the side of someone's house to repair their foundation. And it's like 30, 40 grand. You have to use all this crazy stuff to support it because it's a basement. Like what's it look like for you guys? Yeah, for us, since it's not as complex of a job, the methods we use in Texas aren't as sophisticated. We essentially just dig an access pit that is two and a half by two and a half feet up against the edge of the structure, expose the outer beam, and then whether or not we're pushing concrete piers or steel piers, use a hydraulic ram to just drive those into the ground until the house starts to lift. And once the house begins to lift, then you you're no longer driving and you move to essentially bottle jacks that you could pick up from O'Reilly's to do the final kind of minute leveling of the home. Yeah. Why would someone need a foundation repair in Texas? I mean, the symptoms that drive them to call us are cracks in their brick veneer on the outside of their home, floors that are sloping, interior doors that will not shut properly, or probably the most common is They've been staring at these cracks for a decade, and the wife finally wants to remodel, and they want to level their home before making that investment. Gotcha. So this is common. I mean, those sound like common things. Yeah, it's very common, and pretty much all over Texas. It has to do with expansive clay soil, and I think that soil exists elsewhere in the nation, but Texas is more unique in that we've got a drastic change from spring to midsummer, and so the Clay soil just contracts, the houses fall, and then the cracks appear. That's fascinating. Okay. Yeah, so this is reshaping. I'm glad I dove into this because, again, foundation repair to me is like, 
something totally different up here. <laughs> like not even the same. What is average ticket for you guys? It's gone up, thankfully. But probably eighty five hundred dollars in DFW and closer to ten or eleven thousand in San Antonio. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So I'm now understanding why plumbing is such a good add on for oh, yeah. I mean, this is insane. Like this totally makes sense. Like it sort of made sense beforehand, but now I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, yeah, this is great. All right. So you took over in 2014. Well, in 2014, when I got here, I was just handling accounting because that's what my education is in. And I started to get handed off various pieces of business. And at the time, my father-in-law had hired a consultant. And so, you know, if you take any brick and mortar trades business with virtually zero internet presence and expose them to it, they're going to think you're a genius immediately because new business is going to come in the door. And so in that first fall, oh man, we had, I don't know, probably had 30, 40% growth just from doing Google AdWords and Home Advisor, maybe. But kind of the second part of their engagement began in January of 2015. And we quickly realized and these people look at customers like prey and they're willing to ask us to say anything to get a deal. So that relationship fell apart. But one benefit, I mean, for everybody except for them was when I came on full time, they convinced my father-in-law, hey, if you're going to pay this guy, you might as well let him run it. Yeah. So, I mean, one week I was handling accounting and looking at systems. The next week I'm given a title and just essentially keys the business and trial by fire and everyone got lucky it worked out. Yeah. Okay. Have you been able to buy into the foundation repair business? Oh, no. Do you hope to? Is that a goal? Yeah. At some point, I think we're still working on, I mean, it's a complicated deal with being in a family business and trying to come to a solution where everybody feels like it's fair, but we're making progress. Yeah. Yeah. Family deals. I've said this still, but the hardest deal I've ever done was my first one, which was the one with my dad. It was also the smallest deal I've ever done, but it was the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, family business presents a whole different set of problems that make it extra difficult. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're running the foundation repair business. A couple of years in, you're like, hey, you know, it'd be sweet is plumbing. Yeah. I wish I could take as much credit for it as that. There definitely was the aspect of this would be a great idea. There's already a track record of people in my industry doing it. But honestly, what happened was we outgrew a couple of the small-time plumbers that were working with us. I had hired a new one. And then all of a sudden, I started getting complaints from customers. And I'm like, hey, you said so-and-so plumb is coming out, but a whole different company came out. I don't know what's happening. So I called the guy that's working with us, and he's like, yeah, I got behind, so I kind of sold those opportunities to a different plumber. Well, that's not the agreement we have, so I'm going to have to find someone else to do it. Well, he fires his apprentice that's doing these plumbing tests because when we're done lifting a home, a plumber goes out and just does a quick pass-fail on sewer and fresh water. Gives the apprentice my cell phone number who calls me and chews me out for making him lose his job. And by the end of the call, I had convinced him that you know it really is not my fault. And he's like, well, how can I help you? And kind of in a momentary fit of frustration, I was like, you know, I may just do this on my own. Well, that night I get a call from a master plumber, early 40s, 
he wants to meet me for coffee. So we go to Starbucks. I'm with him for 30, 45 minutes and we talk in general what it would look like. And at the time, my mindset was more of I need to build a plan, understand the plan and then work the plan. And so I don't call him back. Well, two weeks later, he calls me and he goes, hey, I quit my job. When am I starting? And he's early 40s with three sons under the age of five in sole custody. And so immediately I'm like, oh, Lord, I guess tomorrow. <laughs> Chill up and we'll win. That's really how I got started. He was almost half on accident. And his personal life was a disaster. And I didn't pick up on that in 45 minutes at Starbucks. And so within six months, he's gone. And I had to find a new master plumber. But we just kept at it even though it was painful and eventually got it to where it was kind of making money on its own and surviving. Aside from like giving each other leads, do you guys share staff or team or resources? Very early on, I would have a CSR share duties because for the first three years, the vast majority of my attention was on the foundation company. And all the plumbing business did was run plumbing tests if we sold leak detection, a licensed plumber would go do the leak detection and give estimates for sewer repairs. And then a team of installers would go do the sewer repairs. That kind of machine was easy to run by sharing staff. But over time, as it grew, I ended up hiring kind of an operations manager and a CSR. And at the moment, we've got six licensed plumbers and two office staff running the business. You said at the time, most of your attention was on the foundation repair business. Is it different now? It's a little different. I mean, it was probably 90-10 early. I mean, with the referral business, it just made the risk so low because every day it was getting new. You could get away with kind of ignoring it and it survive on its own. But once I started to see the potential, I got more serious. So it's closer to probably 60-40% at the moment. Yeah. How many people are on the team right now, like both companies? Probably low 50s between both. But that's not counting the subcontractors for GL Home. And there's another 75 to 90 guys across all of the subcontractors. Wow. Outside of plumbing, like, have you guys thought about launching anything else on the side or acquiring? Or how else do you keep growing? Yeah. At one point, I tried to start a supply house to the foundation repair industry because the amount of materials we purchased from this specialty industry supply house would allow us to get it going relatively easily. That lasted about 18 months and we got to about a million dollars a year in revenue. And then we got sued by the largest supplier in our area because the partner we chose was the brother-in-law of the gentleman that owns that supply house. And so when dealing with the legal aspect of that, we were like, you know, this really, the market's not as big as we anticipated before we got into it. And even if we do fight it, this isn't profitable enough to really spend our attention on. So we shut it down. So supply house is one attempt. We spend a ton of money with engineering. And so if I could find a structural engineering firm, there would be some synergies there where you could have another business that would grow. Oh, nice. Yeah. But outside of that, it's just really the most synergy would come from growing the plumbing business, plumbing, HVAC, septic, electrical. Mm-hmm. So is, is that the plan? Yeah, that is that is my plan. I've been uh, yeah, I've worked with Cap Target for six or eight months, and you know, using those services, it's easy to go. Well, I didn't close on a deal, so it's not worth it. But it planted a ton of seeds. I had five, six, seven seller meetings, 
and came across two great opportunities, but the sellers didn't fit your standard aging baby boomer with no exit plan. They both were. One was an early 30 guy that had been running dad's business for 12 years and he was just burned out. And the other one was a mid 40s gentleman who was already on his third business and had recently had some success in the real estate market and was kind of tempted by the idea of cashing out to become a real estate tycoon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so both of those are still, I still have communication with them every now and then, but neither of them are interested enough to really start the process. Gotcha. Okay. So this becomes a home service aggregation. All right. Have you talked to Peter Lohman from Columbus yet? I don't think so. I'm familiar with him from Twitter, but I've never talked to him. He just bought, his partner runs it. So all his stuff is 50-50 with his partner. And he just bought a structural engineering franchise. I did see that he bought one because I posted on that because it was interesting. I really yeah. like that idea. Yeah, you should reach out to him. I mean, it's worked so far and that'd be a sweet setup. That'd be a sweet setup for you. Are these two things branded separately, your two existing companies? Yeah. The foundation company is GL Hunt Foundation Repair and the plumbing business is Service Squad Plumbing. Gotcha. How would you brand new stuff as you brought it on? I don't know. I've had a hard time with, like I had a seller meeting yesterday in Austin. It's not anything I want to keep pursuing, but the idea of buying another trades business in the same industry and what the timeline looks like for integrating it into your kind of platform company. Mm -hmm. I'm still not sure what's optimal. What are you leaning towards? Like, what are you thinking about? I lean towards kind of like a multi-year plan where the new brand is, you know, house leveling company, a GL hunt business or a GL hunt company. And then over time, you change the messaging to where it's just GL Hunt Foundation Repair. Have you encountered that before? What is your thoughts on it? Yeah. So we've rebranded companies and usually we do it over the course of a year or two. So we're in the middle of one right now and we're still working through, you know, we did three deals last year. So we're still working through the exact timing of when to transition because sometimes you just don't know. That's what I found. You don't know the value of the name until you own the company. Some stuff you can figure out during due diligence. So I don't want that to sound negligent. But I don't know. Until you really get a feel for how much revenue is being driven off the name alone, how many calls, like the reputation from vendors. And again, some of that stuff you can figure out in due diligence, but some of it you just don't know until you own it. Yeah, that makes sense. We've ended up transitioning brands way faster than we would have ever thought because we get in there and we're like, oh, the company's great. The company's amazing, but the name, no one knows it. Like it's maybe they were a subcontractor. Or they never advertised. They never spent a single dollar behind that name. So then that's an easy brand to transition, right? Versus yeah. someone who has 500 five-star reviews and they ran radio ads for years. Like you can probably never change that name. Yeah, so, I agree. The, the one I was looking at, they primarily serviced realtors and investors and had almost no internet marketing. And for the market we target, we rarely work with realtors and investors. It's almost entirely residential homeowners who see an issue, encounter uh, online marketing, and give us a call. Yeah. You probably don't have repeat business. There's no service side of the foundation business. Not quick repeat business. The foundation repair industry in Texas gives out lifetime transferable warranties, which is a terrible business idea. 
but it's become standard. So everyone's locked into it. So when we fix a home, they are married to us. And if they encounter issues in the future, part of the industry standard warranty language is that another contractor cannot make alterations to the foundations without written consent. Because if you have two different companies that both gave lifetime warranties on a structure, it leads you to this finger pointing, you know, whose responsibility it is to fix it. Yeah. I saw a waterproofing business. So we have a bunch, again, basements. So waterproofing businesses are pretty common here. And they have lifetime warranty. And I'm like, no, that sounds insane. That sounds absolutely insane. Like, I get it. I get why you have to do it to sell it a proper margin. But that sucks. Oh, yeah. I mean, most of our customers at this point, historically, aren't even the people that bought from us. And so we didn't get to set expectations with them on what is covered by a lifetime warranty. They just bought a home. The realtor told them, hey, you've got a lifetime warranty with a GL hunt. And so they call us and they think the entire house is covered. And then we've got to be the bad guy. It's like, no, we fixed, you know, one portion of your home. And yeah, we'll come back out forever to make adjustments on that. But the rest of it, that needs new work. How many times does a house need work? Well, you know, we offer a range of services and the lowest level one is these concrete piers. And it's almost a coin toss on whether or not we're going to be back out in three years, five years, seven years to make adjustments. There's some homes we fix and we almost never go back. And then there's some due to the soil conditions and kind of the drainage of the property where we're out there once a year. That's wild. Yeah. Everyone that has managed to find success and it just builds expected warranty costs into their budget because they know it's going to come. Yeah. So a lifetime value of a customer then is like the first visit. It's like, do you sell? Yeah. The only really predictable part is just that first transaction. So how do you keep building off of that and how do you keep growing? Are you the largest in your market? No. We are probably third and fourth. When it comes to retail homeowners, we may be second. There's a well-known brand in the South called Olshan Foundation Repair. Nolan Ryan is the face of their brand. And I think they do more. But I mean, it's essentially a treadmill. Every customer has to be replaced every single year. Yeah. Do you follow Andrew Wilkinson? I think so. Yeah. What is his business? He runs Tiny. And yeah, they buy tech companies. And I always think about how he moved from what he described as a bad business, the agency model, which they used to like build websites and whatever. I'm not even sure what else they did to a good business, which is like a really sticky, repeatable customer base. I think about that every single day because like I go in and I'm like, well, you know, I pull up service Titan or whatever. And I, Hey, what's on the schedule for tomorrow? And it's like, if there's gaps, it's like exactly what you just said. You have to replace the customer like every day you have to, like something has to happen. And I'm like, man, why am I buying more home service companies? <laughs> why aren't I switching over had to something? Contracts. Yeah. Or like anything, the grease trap and sort of septic business. That's the first variation. That's like, oh, this is repeat. Like, yeah, I'm into this. <laughs> I'm super into this. Yeah, for sure. But even HVAC is not like that. It definitely focuses you on customer acquisition when you've got no guarantee you're ever going to get them back. Yeah. Like, walk me through that. What's the funnel for you guys to just pile up customers? Yeah. So kind of the key metrics that we're checking every day is 
how many inbound leads did we set the day before and for the prior week, what our current closing ratio is just to measure sales team effectiveness. Revenue per lead is a big one that we focus on and it varies by market. That allows me two different things. One is that measures apples to apples against salesmen because they're running different types of leads, whether it's slab or Beam, and it really lets us know, you know how much money we're going to get back based on each rep. And then also I use revenue per lead as kind of a measuring stick for how much I'm willing to spend per opportunity. So in DFW, if our revenue per lead is $2,500, I know we can spend $250 a call and we'll stay under that right at that 10% of advertising spend to revenue. Gotcha. What's the marketing stack? Every paper lead source you can possibly find, Home Advisor, Angie's List, Networks, Thumbtack, local service ads, AdWords. If it's a call, it's coming into a call center that's booking it into service time. If it's a digital text-based lead, all of those are captured via Zapier, dumped into Google Sheets. Twilio sends out kind of a thank you text letting them know that one of our customer service agents will be reaching out to them. And then it pushes the data into service time via bulletins. And it's all only digital? Are you guys doing radio, TV, like postcards? Almost zero traditional marketing. There is a couple of print sources like the Home Mag or there's another one called Best Pick Reports where they you know, have some kind of marketing brochure full of contractors. Those still charge us paper lead, even though it's a print model, but no TV, no radio. I've tested some streaming over the top advertisement, and we even did about a 10 month experiment with Fox 4 and DFW. But none of those that I feel like we really had much return. If we can't measure it, I don't really like it, but I know it worked for some people. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by this. So, I mean, you have to spend almost a million dollars a month. Sorry. Not a million dollars a month. You spend, what, a million a year on PPC? Oh, yeah. I mean, our advertising budget will probably be $1.7 to $1.8 million yeah. for 2022. That's wild. That is fascinating. I guess I expected more traditional in there. I don't know if it's good or bad. I just expected it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm certain there is a way to make that work. It's just I'm not really a marketing guy. And even though I still sit in the marketing function for the business, the only way I can know it's effective is if I can logically work through the math on it. And so that's just kind of pushed me away from the traditional marketing where they're going to, you know, oh, your organic traffic is going to increase. Your click-through rates are going to go up. I'm like, yeah, I agree. That is likely the way I will know, but I still don't feel good about it. Yeah. We've always just struggled. I'm not a marketing person either, right? Like, we grow through M&A because <laughs> I find that easier <laughs> than yeah. learning how to market. <laughs> yeah. So our issue with was pay-per-click didn't seem to scale. Like cost per lead doesn't go down. The more you spend, it just might even go up because you're spending more. <laughs> it, yeah, it just didn't seem to like scale the way we thought and it didn't seem to brand build the way we thought. But then so we started adding more traditional and then the other downside is our average ticket's not $8,500. Yeah. You know, that gets you some freaking firepower to do whatever you feel like you need to do. It does. It, uh, I mean, having a super hype ticket covers up a lot of sins. 
because you can catch back up real quick, which has been, you know, one of the difficulties with the plumbing business is when you know your guys are have an average shaking of like 350 bucks, the math doesn't make sense to go buy the next opportunity. So you have to focus on training them and coaching them to a point where the math does make sense that you can go spend the money on marketing and they'll actually return it as business. So yeah, how does marketing currently work with, are you marketing at all for the plumbing company or is it all organic? Very little. We're part of the LSA platform for the plumbing business, but unlike the foundation repair business, it does not generate many opportunities. I think it's just a much more crowded market. You know, there's probably 70 plumbing companies on LSAs in my area. So yeah, we'll do a little bit of home advisor, Angie's list. There's one in my market called good contractors list. And they kind of started the model of, you know, we'll vet these contractors according to our principles, and then we'll back them with a $10,000 guarantee on their job. And that one works out pretty well. For the plumbing business, getting our next customer has not been a problem. I feel like we still have a lot of levers to pull to grow that way. It's really just, can we find, recruit, and train techs? Yeah. And not only are they good plumbers, but are they good people and good teammates? That's been much more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I can get that. What we're finding with multiple businesses is because there's one brand, our largest brand carries like the brunt of our marketing efforts, like seven, eight percent of revenue. But some of the other brands have absolutely no marketing at all because they either like sit off to the side of the large brand and they sort of soak up excess leads that sort of overflow or they had a bunch of like we bought three deals last year and none of them did an ounce of marketing, like not a penny, which is crazy. So then we were able to just come in and we haven't even started marketing on them yet. We've just been like doing best practices, raising pricing, doing all the stuff that, you know, they needed to do and they've grown and we still haven't even, even had to market. So like that's been a wild. So on one business, I'm like, oh my God, we spend so much on marketing and cost per lead sucks and all this. But then you find out, same as what you're finding out with plumbing. Plumbing doesn't need to market at all because you spend so much freaking money on the, <laughs> yeah, the other yeah. companies. Yeah. What is your initial reaction when you're meeting sellers and they go, I don't do any marketing. I work by referral only. What is my usual reaction? I know that we're charging too low right off the rip. And I guess I see it as a bad thing. I probably see that as a bad thing. Yeah, I usually see it negatively. And most of the time it's delivered to me in like a pat on my back. I don't even need to do marketing. And my initial reaction is like, well, you obviously aren't wanting to grow. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot more to it. I think there's a lot more to it than that. I don't know. Like how good's the brand? And if you're buying a name, like if someone bought our largest brand, they're buying millions and millions of dollars a brand building activity that went into that brand. Not just the five-star reviews, but they're buying the equity that we've gained from TV and radio and mailers for years. And that's huge. That's hugely valuable. So when I find out a brand hasn't really advertised at all, or they only use PPC, because that's not really a brand builder to me, then I'm like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this one. This might not be a good fit. Or if it is a good fit, how like can they even handle marketing? Like, can they handle 8% budget going to something new? Yeah. And the answer is likely no. Yeah. Probably can't afford it. Yeah. Cause they're charging too low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It all sort of like, but yeah, the initial take is like, Oh, you guys are charging too low. You already know what's going on there. 
you know there's some loose ends, but usually they're small. And if they're not marketing, that means they don't have a bunch of other stuff figured out. Is Because if you're not spending anything on marketing, and that's your only company, then you're running like a tenth of a company. So, yeah, that's my quick take. Yeah. <laughs> not good. <laughs> but, yeah, it usually is delivered with sort of like, yeah, we don't even need to market. And I'm like, yeah, you probably do. You just don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. When you've been looking, what size are you guys looking for? I mean, I lean towards maxing out an SBA loan because I agree that there's going to be less risk with more people of just losing one key employee and all of a sudden you've lost half your business that you just bought. Yeah. Does your father-in-law own any of the plumbing company? No. So would this be like a co-venture or would this just be on your own? Probably going to be on my own. I mean, he's at a point in life where he's just enjoying life. He doesn't really have any interest in what his next opportunity is. I mean, you can tell me if this is off limits, but how do you handle running your father-in-law's company and running your own company too? Is that a conflict? Like, how does that work? It can be. It presents scenarios where I don't think moral hazard is the right word, but you know, you're conflicted between, well, do I, can I do right by both entities and motivations? Can I maximize the opportunity of the foundation company and the plumbing business at the same time? And the answer can be yes, and it could be no. No one else is going to do it. So I just show up every day. Mm -hmm. How do you move to the next part? I guess, what would the dream scenario be before you own control all of it? Yeah. You know, during 2021, we started implementing EOS, set out to build a management team. So at this point, the accounting seat is filled operations, sales manager, I still sit in the marketing position, an integrator. So if I can find someone to handle the marketing to where that opens up my you know, excess time, just finding the next acquisition and doing the same thing I've done with plumbing is building a team and hoping there's enough synergy there to reduce risk and help it grow kind of with the rising tide lifts all ships concept. Do you have a visionary on the team? Not really. And I'm not super big into titles. And I think it's useful. You're the one that used EOS. <laughs> I'm just going yeah. off of what you're giving me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just a natural dislike of calling myself a visionary. I definitely have that natural dislike too. That is like the yeah, single just, worst title that they could have given that position. <laughs> During the first like two or three meetings of onboarding into EOS, I was like, I'm not calling myself that. So we came up with a new one. <laughs> What is yours? Maybe I'll call myself that. Allocator. <laughs> oh, okay. Allocator. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that sounds less pretentious. So I think yeah, a little bit, a little bit less. Yeah. But so right now you're sitting in the integrator seat and no one's sitting in the EOS visionary seat as you see it. Correct. I mean, just from this conversation, it seems like you're a strong integrator. Like that feels like a good seat for you. So do you think you move back to the visionary seat or do you try to recruit the visionary? I'm not sure. The part of business I enjoy is the high-level strategy. What are we going to do next? But by make plan, necessity, plan. yeah, make the plan, work the plan. By necessity, I sit where I'm at. And so I think in the future, if I can hire someone to take the integrator role, that's fine. I try not to let my ego get tied up with, you know, we're doing it this way because it's my way or it was my idea, or I'm the one that has to do this. I don't, I don't mind letting other people do anything. As long as it's effective. So do you think you would be willing to stay in the integrator role and recruit a visionary? No, I'd rather recruit an integrator yeah. and step back to the visionary role. 
the allocator role. Nice. It's a much better name. It's a much, <laughs> much better name. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just allocating money. It's talent, attention. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking back to what you said sort of at the beginning of the call, but I find it fascinating how whoever's at the top, so in my case, me, in your case, you, wherever your attention gets directed becomes like things happen. Things just start happening. Yeah. Right? I'm not even really sure where I was going with that. Probably you stepping back into strategy. Yeah, I mean, because we've never, you know, seven years ago, I didn't sit down and model out what it would look like to get to $20.5 million. It's just been every day, incremental progress across a wide range of the business. And then we look up seven years later, and we've got more reviews than anybody in the industry and have grown four times. So it's worked without an official visionary. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you read those books and implement, like we're implementing too, and you wonder what the right – it's just like any job position, right? So right now we need someone to head up our finance. I'm heading up our finance because I've really struggled getting the right people in that seat. There's going to be a point where that's the absolute worst decision in the world that I'm still heading up finance, and it's probably coming up soon. But like for now, it still works. And I would have to imagine that that's the same thing with the like sort of the duality of running a company, the visionary integrator piece. For us, it was really early because I am such like I can't incremental progress just bores the hell out of me. So I was making a huge mess. So I need an integrator like way earlier because I would have been a nightmare. But if you're a strong integrator, yeah, you probably don't like you probably don't need the second half for a long time. <laughs> yeah. You can probably just keep going. Well, that's my plan. Just gonna keep going. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Cool. All right. You're starting to look for deals. Plumbing's working out. You've got the foundation repair business going. What else is on your radar? We've toyed with the idea of getting into foam injection, which is a like insulation. No, it's a substitute for foundation repair. It's using polyurethane foam to lift homes. It would be an added service for GL Hunt, but I'm not sure how much of a market there is for it. And then I just really like the idea of HVAC, and it just might be shiny object syndrome because your average tickets are going to be a lot higher than your standard plumbing calls. And I like the sales and marketing type. You would do, yeah, probably pretty well with HVAC. I would actually say it's probably easier for you to go to HVAC from foundation than it is for me to go to HVAC from plumbing because plumbing is so focused on just like average ticket, average ticket, average ticket. Whereas HVAC, like we're having to learn how to market for HVAC right now, which is all about replacement leads. And like, you've got that down and we don't like, we're really struggling on that aspect of our business. Cause it's totally different than plumbing and drains and all that stuff. Where you know you got to spend minimally, it's mainly brand building to get people to call you whenever the drain backs up versus HVC, where it's just barraging people with nine thousand dollar opportunities. Have you worked with any sales organizations? Nope, probably should. I mean, I've worked with a few. The one we worked with recently is a guy named Joe Crisera. Have you ever heard of him? Nope, I'm writing it down though. Yeah, it's called Pure Motive Service, and so he's got a whole kind of philosophy around providing customers with the highest level of customer service as kind of your sales text motivation. But then the tactical aspect of it is he's taken the good, better, best model and turned it into like six options instead of three, ranging from just your bare minimum 
band-aid repair up to the highest possible solution you could give someone. And he goes into a little bit of seller buyer psychology around options and how that funnels people towards the middle options that you give. We've probably implemented 70% of it with GL Hunt since October of 2019. And it's had an impact on average sale, like 15 or 20%. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Pure mode of service. Yep. Yeah, that's great. We just brought someone on to run our HVAC just because, again, we're so built on like Brandon's background's landscaping, which is repeat to the max, right? And our background is plumbing and just totally different from HVAC. So if, if you're strong with marketing, HVAC is great. If you're not and you grow through M&A like this lazy guy here, then yeah, HVAC is a lot tougher. All right, sweet. I'm going to check this out. It's your most service. That's dope. Cool. All right. We usually end every episode with this one question. So I'm going to hit you with it, man. What's your single biggest challenge right now? Oh, hiring is still our biggest challenge. We don't have a recruiter. And so we spread the hiring process across a couple of people. That's tough. That's yeah. already tough. It's, like, and it's just a huge time sink reviewing resumes, initial oh, yeah. interviews. And in this market, it's just difficult to even get people to show up. We still have no-shows constantly. And then for the marketing position I'm looking for, I mean, I'm sure you've interacted with enough marketing agencies to realize, like, I mean, if you and I were to go start a marketing company tomorrow, we know enough of the lingo to convince aging baby boomers that we know what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Not complicated. Yeah. So in your applicants can talk the talk, but how many of them can actually do the work is the big disconnect. So it's just hard to find someone and really gauge their competency for that specific position. Yeah, those are two big challenges for sure. This was awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on today. For having me. If people want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? I guess you can find me on Twitter. Like I said, when we started, I've been a professional lurker. And so being on Twitter and kind of participating has been exciting. I mean, I've met 10 or 15 guys over the last two or three months for coffee, lunch, and I didn't know any of them. So yeah, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm pretty much an open book. You can talk about whatever you want. Awesome. Thanks. This was great, Hayden. Thank you. Have a good day.